Thanks, Charlie Band, for leading us in worship this morning. Uh, I love that, that that last song. That's a great song. Uh, we're going to be uh, John chapter four again this week, and I just want to encourage you: if you were not able to be with us last week, uh, you can go to our website, uh, ChesterChristian.org. Go to our media section and uh, pull up the podcasts and listen to last week's sermon. Uh, we began uh, talking about the woman at the well. We're going to wrap that up today. So. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to, to John. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you were here last week, uh, I mentioned that my wife, Robin, who was up here uh, on stage singing, she's pregnant, and uh, we were going to find out the sex of our baby this past week, and we took a poll last week, and I asked uh, how many of you thought it was going to be a girl, or how many of you thought it was going to be a boy, and I shared with you that my gut feeling that it was a girl, right? And I was right with our first child being, uh, my gut feeling was it was a boy, and it was a boy, it's Jude. And so I, was just, I had this gut feeling it was a girl, okay? We went Monday to find out, and my gut feeling was wrong. We're having a boy, we're having a boy, so. No, no need to clap, it's just, uh, that's the way it is, so. But if, you, uh, but if you were right last week and you guessed a boy and uh, you bet against me, you bet right. And so treat yourself today after, after church to uh, your favorite dessert or whatever that may be. Well, I want to start off uh, this morning in prayer and just, uh, so if you would join me. God, I just thank you so much for the opportunity we have to just come here as a collective body of Christ followers God, even, even, even if there are some in here that, that aren't uh, followers, God, I just thank you for them and thank you that they are here. Father, that we can worship you. And God, I, I, my prayer is, is that we are hungry and that we are thirsty for, for more of you. Father, I pray that you would pour your spirit out on us today as we talk more about this story and we talk about your transforming grace in our lives. Father, my prayer is, is that your son Jesus would be exalted and that we would see him this morning and give you praise. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, last week we began looking at the encounter with Jesus and the woman at the well. And the way I introduced the story was by introducing you to two types of paintings. On my left we have sketch art and on my right we have what's called drip art. Sketch art is art you can tell what it is. Drip art, you can't. Sketch art is art uh, that the artist has planned before she started. The art is defined and it has lines. And you can tell that that right there is a picture of Bob Nearman, who is a member of our church. And he was here first service, and I had him stand up. And uh, you could tell everybody just like, they like just erupted in joy. I don't know what it was, but it was crazy. But he's not here second service, so I can't do that. But uh, that is a picture of Bob Nearman, and uh, his daughter Dina painted that, and she did a great job. But you can tell what that is. This is defined, and it has lines. Drip art, on the other hand, looks more like the artist just took a few paint cans and just kind of threw it on the canvas, and you really can't tell what it is. And unfortunately, sketch art is the way that a lot of people relate to Jesus and religion in general. It's as if following Jesus is about an exact polished product that we should go for, and the lines have been clearly drawn. And we're taught from an early age that we're to stay within these lines. And that if we paint outside these lines, then we, we've messed up. Don't color outside the lines. 
For example, I was raised in a church, and for the longest time, following Jesus felt like a formula. It felt like that it was very mechanical, like do this, don't do that, do this, do that, read your Bible, pray, don't cuss, you know, don't, don't listen to secular music, don't watch rated R movies. And it felt more like following Jesus was, was like a formula rather than a relationship. And it's like we've been taught that all Jesus came to do was to sanitize us, to make sure that we have the, the right friends or the right beliefs or the right habits or the right moral compass. And unfortunately, Christians feel the pressure of this sketch art type of mentality. They feel the weight and the burden that Jesus never intended for us to carry. So whenever the weight or burden becomes more than we can bear and we, we paint outside the lines, our life becomes messy, much like drip art. And we feel like we can't pick the brush back up and paint again. The sketch art mentality oftentimes leaves you feeling like you have to earn God's favor or you have to do something to, uh, for God to accept you or to, uh, to love you. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not trying to rip on our Sunday school curriculum, uh, but I, I think oftentimes our Sunday school curriculum or the way that we teach Bible stories to our kids, uh, we, we teach them to be good little boys and girls, right? And God will love us for that. And I think that type of teaching can create this art, sketch art mentality. For instance, we'll, we'll teach that Abraham, a uh, guy in the Old Testament, book of Genesis, uh, we, we say, be faithful like Abraham. Abraham was faithful. God made Abraham the father of a nation, so be faithful like Abraham. Or, or we teach about King David. King David was in the Old Testament. We say David was a man after God's own heart. God gave him victory over giants, and he was a victorious king, right? And we say David had a, a heart after God. And then what we'll do is we'll tack the gospel message on the end of that, kind of like a P.S., right, at the end of a letter. And we say, oh, and by the way, God will forgive you if you mess up. If we fail to be good, Jesus will forgive us. But what we tend to leave out of those stories is that, okay, Abraham lied about who his wife was, and he, and he had a baby by another woman because he didn't trust God's plan. Or we fail to mention that, oh, yeah, David was an adulterer and a murderer, and he was a horrible, horrible parent because his kids were jacked up. You know, we, we fail to mention those things. And that's the whole point of the gospel message is that even in our messiness, that even in their messiness, that God loved them and pursued them. See, I believe this sketch art mentality creates one of two things. It will either cause someone to give up on Jesus altogether because they just can't, they can't do it. They feel the weight and the pressure. I can't do I can't paint inside these lines. I'm, it's not a formula. Or it creates a Pharisee type of person. Now, if you're not familiar with who the Pharisees were, the Pharisees were these religious fanatics in, in Jesus' day, and they were strict teachers of the law, the Old Testament. And the problem was is they not only demanded obedience to the law, but then they would add the law, they would add to it, and then they would add these uh, heavy burdens on people's shoulders, and it was just too much for people to bear, and they couldn't possibly keep up with what they were saying. See, to the Pharisees, religion was all about painting inside the lines. It was more about conforming to a pattern rather than a relationship. And so they would place these heavy burdens on people. And that's why I love Jesus. Because, you see, Jesus comes along in the very first book of the New Testament in Matthew. And in chapter 11, he turns this whole 
this whole thing upside down. He says, he says, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy burdened. Come unto me, all those who are tired of playing religion. Come unto me, all those who are, are tired of trying to measure up to earn God's favor. Come unto me, all those who are trying to earn salvation by doing enough good things. Come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I, Jesus, will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what Jesus is saying is, is it's not about you trying to earn salvation. It's not about you trying to conform to a pattern of religion, but it's about having a relationship with me. Now, I do want to use caution because I, I don't want you guys to leave here thinking that I'm a heretic and that I just preach grace, 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 grace. Because the Bible is full of the word obey or obedience. Would you not agree? I mean, it's just littered throughout the whole Bible. But what I want you to see this morning is that there is a huge, huge, huge difference between being obedient out of fear that if I mess up or if I paint outside the lines that God will not love me or accept me as opposed to obedience out of the love of God. There's a difference with teaching obedience without relationship as opposed to obedience out of God's love. My wife shared this illustration with me. She's a, she's a dog lover, and this is what she says. She said, it's like this. You can whip a dog into obedience. And he, he will shake and he will cower at your presence and obey. Or, like Jesus loved us, you can love that dog and he will give you back his full devotion and obedience because he is love. Does that make sense? That's transforming grace. See, religion, sketch art, religion says, behave first, then believe. Get your life straight. Clean up yourself. Then believe, and then you will belong. But Jesus says, belong. Let me love you. Let me accept you as you are, not as you should be. Then believe, and then you will behave. Does that make sense? You guys connecting with that? That's why I love this story. Because this story reveals the absolutely miserable, unhappy truth about ourselves. And the amazing, wonderful truth about Jesus. And that amazing, wonderful truth it reveals about Jesus is that he gives us hope in our miserable, unhappy condition. I want you guys to know this morning that God knew we were going to spill a lot of paint. He knew that our lives were going to be messy. But what we learned last week was that Jesus pursues us in our messiness. He's not repulsed by it, but he engages in it, and he pursues us in it. If you missed last week, you need to know about this tension and hatred that existed between Jews and Samaritans. This hatred was racial and it was religious. That's why this woman was so shocked that Jesus would even talk to her, much less ask her for a drink. And this hatred stemmed all the way back to the Old Testament, when in about 722 B.C., the Assyrians, who were north of Northern Israel came down and invaded northern Israel and led some of the Jews into captivity. They exiled them away, but then they allowed some of the Jews to stay in their land, but they just displaced them. And what they did is they allowed some of their own people, as well as surrounding countries, 
to come and live with the Jews that had stayed put. And what ended up happening was that these Jews that stayed put ended up compromising their beliefs, and they were joining in on what these pagan nations were doing. They were intermarrying with them, and they were having kids, and they were even sacrificing their own kids to the pagan gods. And those Jews that had been exiled were upset with them, and they were like, how could you do this? And that's how the group of Samaritans started. And that's how they became to hate each other on every level. And so Jesus walks right smack dab in the middle of the Samaritan woman's messy life, and he changes it forever. This woman, she experiences transforming grace. This is what I want to talk to you about this morning, is transforming grace. Because here's the thing, if you get religion and you get morality, but you don't get Jesus, that's a bad exchange. It's a bad exchange. If you get formula without relationship, it's a bad exchange. You don't want that. So how can we experience this relationship? How can we experience this transforming grace? If you have your Bible open to John, let's start in verse 16 this, this week. And I'm going to read a few verses here, and then we're going to talk some more about that. Verse 16, this is what it says. He, being Jesus, said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have answered correctly that you have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, this mountain Gerizim, and you people, the Jews, say that in Jerusalem is where men ought to worship. Now I find this, this interaction between Jesus and the woman very interesting. Jesus has just exposed this woman's greatest sin. He's just laid out for her her morally messed up life. Jesus pointed out that this woman's life is a mess and all that guilt and shame that she has lived with for so long that she's tried to bury deep down inside of her has just been brought back up to the surface. Those barriers and those walls that she's put up, man, Jesus has just kind of tore those down. And in the middle of this interaction between Jesus and this woman, she brings up the subject of worship? I mean, what, why does she do that? Was she like, oh, okay, Jesus, you got me. Whew, I'm busted. You put your finger right on it, man. Now, now that you've figured me out, where should I go to church? Where should I go worship? Should I attend the Methodist church up here? I hear they got a great choir. I can sing. I can sing one for you, Jesus. Or how about the Baptist church, man? I, I hear they got a great Awana program. And, you know, I've had five husbands, so I got a lot of kids. Where should I go worship, Jesus? I don't think that's what she was asking. See, again, because of this hatred between Jews and Samaritans, they each had their own respective temples. Samaritans had built their temple right there on Mount Gerizim, and the Jews had built their temple in Jerusalem. And so this woman's sin has just been exposed. And in Jesus' day, if you have a sin issue, you had to take care of it at the temple right? The temple is where God was. So she's just asking, you Jews say that you've got it all figured out, so do I go to Jerusalem or do I go to my own temple to offer a sacrifice? 
This woman wanted to offer a sacrifice for her sin. And so whatever you could afford, if you a dove, a pigeon, lamb, whatever, you take it to the temple and give it to the high priest, and the high priest would then intercede for you, between you and God, for your sins. See, the temple is where you deal with your sins. And in verse 21, Jesus says, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming. And he says that because he's referencing his death, burial, and resurrection. He says, an hour is coming and is, is, has now come when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Jesus is saying, woman, a time has come where it doesn't matter where you worship. And in verse 25, the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. You have, I've heard about him. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. No need to go to the temple because I am your sacrifice. I am the remedy to your messed up life. John, who writes this story, writes a few chapters earlier and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He also writes in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he sent. He sends Jesus into the messiness of our lives and Jesus pursues us. And what I want you to know this morning is that transforming grace starts with us trusting in God's work for you. Transforming grace starts with trusting in God's work for you. Trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that it is sufficient to cover all my sins. There is nothing that you have to do to add to your salvation. You can't attend church enough. You can't obey enough commands. It's not about cleaning yourselves up so that God will accept us. It's not about conforming to a pattern or a formula, but it's about trusting in God's work, Jesus' death on the cross for you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, Christ, the sinless, became sin so that we, the sinners, could be counted sinless. When you trust in God's work for you, When God looks at you, who was a sinner, he sees his son, Jesus, who was sinless because his blood covers over your sins. That's good news. That's good news, amen? 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ never sinned, but he died for sinners that he might bring us safely home to God. See, this woman's sin was exposed. I mean, her deepest secret out there. All that guilt and shame brought to the forefront, and Jesus said, I am sufficient. I am enough. No need to go to the temple, because I am your sacrifice. All that guilt and shame, gone. And she did nothing to deserve it. And we do nothing to deserve it. That's why it's called grace. If, if we deserved it, it wouldn't be called grace, right? Do you trust in God's work for you? Do you believe Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient for your sins? Or does your life consist of a continuous cycle of guilt, constantly feeling like you have to repay God? Do you constantly feel like you, you've got to paint inside the lines, and if you mess up, then God is, does not accept you or does not love you? Is that the way you feel? Can you rest in God's grace for you? Transforming grace starts with us trusting in God's work for you. And that's good news. That is 
really, really, really good news. And it's good news because I, I love the fact that Jesus can take this woman, a Samaritan woman who her life is messed up and he can come right smack dab in the middle of it. And he can love her as she is. And, and she can be transformed and God can use her. You know, there's times that I think to myself, God, how in the world could you possibly use somebody like me? You ever think that? I mean, do you ever, do you ever wonder, like, how could you, I mean, I'm, I'm such a wretched sinner. How can you possibly use somebody like me? I'm reminded, man, it's, it's not about me. It's about what Jesus did for me on the cross. And I find rest and comfort in that. So this woman became captivated by Jesus' love. She wants to know more about him, and he's kind of piqued her interest, and she wants to know how her life can be transformed. So I want us to jump back to the water conversation. Last week I said we would focus a little bit more this week on the water conversation. So if you will just jump back a few verses, and we're going to start in verse 9. And this is what Jesus says to her. He says, Well, this is what the Samaritan woman says. She said, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink for Jews do not associate with Samaritans? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I love how Jesus takes our basic everyday necessity of water and uses it to show this woman's need for him. I mean, I'm sure everyone here has experienced thirst. Right? You've, you've been working in the yard, you've been cutting your grass, and your, your throat is parched, you've got cotton mouth, right? you can't wait to get a drink of water. When I, was in high, when I was reading this passage, it made me think of when I was in high school, and uh, every summer we used to throw hay, uh, not hay, but hay, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so we would throw hay, and, 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 and we did the square bales, and I used to love that. I, I know it's crazy, right? but I used to enjoy doing that, and... Uh, and, and we would throw hay, and we would start early in the morning, and we would go tonight, and, and, and then, you know, in the barns, you know, when you're throwing hay, it gets all dusty, and it's just like stuff gets in your mouth, and you just feel really thirsty, and you're like, man, I need water. And you're like looking forward to when you can get that ice cold water. Man, I, just, I love how Jesus uses the basic everyday need of water. In the Old Testament, living water referred to God's grace and his presence or God's spirit. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, it says, In the day of God's salvation, with joy, God's people will draw water from the wells of salvation. Isaiah 44, 3 says, The pouring out of God's Spirit will be like pouring water on a dry and thirsty land. And Isaiah 55, 1 through 3 is my favorite. He says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters that, you, that your soul may live. See, Jesus was offering to pour out his spirit and quench her spiritual thirst forever. Jesus was offering her a new heart, one that knows and experiences God in, in real relationship. And so transforming grace is also about trusting the presence of Christ in you. 
trusting the presence of Christ in you. What water can do for your body, the Holy Spirit can do for your heart. Now, I don't want to get all mystical on you here. I don't want to go all matrix, okay, and, uh, and freak you out. But I want you to hang with me for a second, okay? If we took a glass of water and splashed it up against the wall, the liquid would then conform to the wall and spread, right? It will run down the wall, and it will find every nook, cranny, and crevice. Its molecular makeup grants water great flexibility. And this is what the Spirit of God does for our life. The Spirit of God works to find bad things that are in our heart and replaces them with good things. God, God, the, the, the Holy Spirit works to take those things in our heart, those, those things that, uh, that we think about, or those, those evil, whatever it is, and God and it works to, 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 to remove those things. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And the Holy Spirit works to replace those bad things with those good things. And, and what I want you to know this morning, I want to encourage you because it's a lifelong process, okay? It doesn't happen overnight. It's a lifelong process. And what I want you to know is that we can't do this on our own. But we have to trust in the presence of Christ in us. The Spirit of God has a way of flushing out all of our fears, our anxieties, our guilts, our shame. It has a way of dislodging regrets in our life. Those things that we just hold on to. Those things that we just can't seem to let go of. The Spirit wants to work in your life to help you to, to let go of those things. Jesus is saying, come to me. Come to me and drink. No sipping, no slurping, no tasting. Jesus says, go to 7-Eleven, get a big gulp, all right? And I want you to just pour it, you know? And the idea here is not just come and drink once. But the idea is to keep coming, keep drinking. Continually, every day, ask for the Spirit of God to fill us. You know, one of the things that I've, I've tried to start doing is in the morning when I wake up, I think, okay, okay, God, what, how can the Spirit work in me today? What, what is it in my heart that, that I need to, to let the Spirit work in me? What, what is it that I need to let go of? And, and I want the Spirit to come into my, into my house. My, my body is the temple of the Lord. And I want the Spirit to come into my house. And I want it to come into every room in my house. Because sometimes we're hesitant, right? Uh, don't go there. Don't go there, right? But the Spirit wants to come into every room of our house. Even that small little linen closet, like, in your, in your hallway. The Spirit wants to go there, too, you know? And so I just ask, God, just where, where do I need a Spirit today? And so we ask every day, God, fill me with your Spirit. That's what transforming grace is about, trusting in the presence of Christ in you. And so this Samaritan woman, she did uh, just that, and her life was changed. Let me show you what I mean. In Jesus' day, uh, if you had any type of business transaction, if you, had to, uh, if you wanted to get married, if you wanted to get divorced or anything, you had to go before the uh, townspeople at the town gate. Okay, it was kind of like where everything happened. It was where the courts happened. It just, everything took place there. Uh, my friend, is Tom, is Tom in here? I saw Tom earlier. Is Tom in here? Tom Crowder? Okay, he, he, I saw him in here earlier. He shared this with me, and this was, this was huge. I thought about this. But this is where everything took place. So I want you to think about this for a minute. If you're wanting a divorce 
from your spouse, you had to go before the townspeople. Think about this woman. This woman had been married five times. Five times she has disgracefully walked to that gate to be seen by everybody in the town to get a divorce. Not once, not twice, five times. Each time, feeling the weight and feeling that pressure, feeling that shame and that guilt of one broken relationship after another. I mean, that's probably why she's living with the guy she's with now because she doesn't want to get married and face the people again, right? That's why she went to the well at noon was to avoid people. And Jesus comes into her mess. And he changes her life. Because the Bible says that she runs from the well. She leaves her water water pot. She doesn't even take it. She leaves it. Because she's so excited about what Jesus has just done. And she runs to the town. And all the people, man, that she has faced in years past and all this shame and all this guilt and all this fear and all this anxiety, everything gets flushed away and she runs to this town and this gate and she says, you've got to come and see what this man Jesus has done for me in my life. I mean, the only way she could do that is because of what Jesus has done in her life. That's the only way she could do that. She couldn't face those people any other way. And because of that, Jesus, a few verses later, comes to their town and they receive the gospel message because of this woman has been transformed by Jesus. And I'll I'll even go a step further. Uh, uh, Roughly about 10 years after this interaction in the book of Acts, chapter 8, a young man by the name of Philip goes to Samaria and preaches the gospel and they receive it and everybody rejoices. You know why? Because a woman at a well who had been transformed by Jesus, her life was changed. Her life was changed. And that's what I want you to understand. That's what I want to encourage you with today. That Jesus wants to change your life. He wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. He wants you to trust in God's work for you and what he did on the cross. A couple weeks ago, a group of individuals from our church went to Riverwood. And it's a mission uh, that they go on every year. And the folks that went on that trip every year, they go. And I'm telling you, they do things on that trip that they would not normally do but it's because they trust in the presence of Christ in them that they're able to do those things. And so, Tina, I want you to come on up here, and I want you to share with us your, your story and, and how God has changed you and transformed you. And then, uh, and then I'll give some further instructions.